Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. In Washington, President Biden trying to pass a major coronavirus relief bill, meeting with Republican senators after they propose an alternate version at only one-third the size and cost. Plus, COVID cases and hospitalizations are dropping across the country, but the new variants are a serious concern, with experts worried another surge could be on the way. And could the nation soon see a big change when it comes to immigration policy? The White House set to unveil a new series of executive orders overturning Trump-era rules. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with and moving to Washington now and President Biden's push for fast passage of a major COVID relief package. He met at the White House last night with a group of Republican senators, those GOP lawmakers proposing a plan that's only one third the size of Biden's plan. Edwin Pitti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hi, Lorraine. Even before the meeting between President Biden and a group of 10 Republican senators, the White House said the president was not willing to compromise his $1.9 trillion relief package. And that's exactly what happened. Biden has told Republican senator he's unwilling to settle on an insufficient coronavirus aid package after they pitched their slimmed-down $618 billion proposal. Republicans seem to want to reach a bipartisan agreement to improve the nation's vaccine distribution with a $160 billion fund, which is similar to what Biden is proposing. But from there, the two plans drastically diverge. This is what Senator Susan Collins said after the meeting. It was a very good exchange of views. I wouldn't say that we came together on a package tonight. No one expected that in a two-hour meeting. But what we did agree to do is to follow up and talk further. Lorraine, there is common ground on the proposals. Both plans agree on investing more for vaccine distribution and testing, and also more aid for small businesses, aid that would be reduced under the Republican proposal. But there are also disagreements. Under Biden's proposal, the third round of checks is set for $1,400 for individuals with an annual salary of $75,000. But the GOP wants to, that check to be $1,000 for those with a salary below $50,000. That makes a huge difference in the overall price tag of the bill. Biden's proposal is a $1.9 trillion package, while the Republicans is set at $618 billion. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the Senate Budget Committee lays out the framework for Democrats to start with their budget reconciliation process, a procedural tool that will allow them to pass President Biden's COVID relief plan with a simple majority. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And in other administration news, the Department of Justice is asking the Supreme Court to delay a case centering on U.S.-Mexico border wall funding. The justices were scheduled to hear arguments in the case February 22nd. 
But in a Monday filing, the acting solicitor general informed the justices that President Biden has directed a pause in construction so that the government can look at the legality of funding and contracting methods used to construct the wall. Lawyers for the ACLU praised the filing, calling former President Trump's wall illegal and harmful to border communities. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is expected to sign three executive orders Tuesday that reverse former President Donald Trump's immigration policies. Pedro Rojas has more from Hidalgo, Texas. Yes, well, President Biden is expected to sign at least three executive new orders in regards to immigration, and those will address several issues. Among them, a task force to reunite families. There is another that will also address irregular migration across the southern border and create a humane asylum system. And the lastly, pro uh, 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 action will be uh, action to restore faith in our legal immigration system and promote integration and of the new Americans. Now, all of these actions are highly expected right here on the border. And the reason being is because, as we know, there are thousands of migrants that will return to Mexico under the Migrant Protection Protocol. And the second action that will be signed by the president today states that, according to the direction of the, the new Secretary of Homeland Security that should be confirmed today, Alejandro Mayorkas, he will direct a review of the so-called Migrant Protection Protocol Program or Remain in Mexico Program. And besides that action, he will then present to the president a few options that he will decide. And then at that point, we presume that thousands of migrants that have been returned, we, according to our records, at least 70,000 families were returned uh, back to Mexico under the Migrant Protection Protocol Program. Those families will be coming into the border or presenting themselves to uh, accelerate their process in regards to uh, claiming asylum into the United States. Now, we were able to speak with Sister Norma Pimentel, who has led the humanitarian effort down here on the southern border for months and years since 2014 of the, during the first wave of migrants and unaccompanied minors. And this is what she said in regards to how they are preparing for a possible new wave of migrants. I never planned on great numbers to come, but we're ready to receive and, and, and offer every human person the right care that they deserve as a person. And so I think that the good disposition of so many people wanting to step up and say, how can I help? I, I'm counting on that. Now, all of these could happen anytime now. The, the, again, the president is designated uh, Secretary Mayorkas once he is confirmed from, by the Senate to take on this program, MPP, the Migrant Protection Protocol. And I, at that point, we will see what will be the recommendations and the actions that President Biden could impose in the next few days or possibly in the next few months here at the border. Back to you. Thank you, Pedro, for that update. And joining me now is Sarah Pierce. She's a policy analyst at the Migration Policy Institute. Thanks for being on You News, Sarah. What's your reaction to President Biden's upcoming, upcoming executive orders, among them the formation of a task force to reunite families separated under former President Trump's policies? I think having these three executive orders occur so early in the administration sends a strong message that they intend to be very active on immigration. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that they are just messaging. It sounds as if the executive orders today won't change a lot immediately. For example, rather than 
initiate a process to allow MPP or Migrant Protection Protocol enrollments to enter the country, these orders are just initiating a review of the program. So they're not changing a lot immediately, but they are making it clear that this administration is is prioritizing immigration. It's an important first step, of course. And Sarah, over 5,000 children were separated from their parents under Trump's policy. What are the challenges with reuniting these families? So NGO groups or non-governmental organizations on the ground have been trying for months to reunite families that have long been separated, families that were separated before the spring of 2018. So nearly three years have gone by and, and it's really, really hard for these organizations to get in contact and communicate with these parents. So that's one great thing. One great result of the executive orders today is now those organizations are going to have government backing and hopefully there can be a great amount of communication and coordination between the organizations and the government about what exactly they need in order to move forward with reuniting these hundreds and hundreds of children and their parents. And just to clarify, will families be allowed to reunite in the United States? There's no indication that these executive orders are going to open any sort of immigration pathway for these separated families. Rather, it looks as if they're going, the task force will um, do their best to look at each individual case and see if the individuals qualify for immigration benefits that already exist. Of course, that's quite hard to do. We don't have a lot of immigration pathways into the United States, uh, so we'll have to see uh, what opportunity these families have. And Sarah, President Biden is also expected to address the controversial Remain in Mexico policy in which asylum seekers have to wait in Mexico. What do you think is the most urgent priority to address? So on his first day in office, President Biden already stopped new enrollments in this program. So that's great. There's no one new who's enrolled in it. But there are up to 25,000 migrants currently waiting at the northern border of Mexico who are currently enrolled and 70,000 when you're looking at everyone who was enrolled previously and is currently enrolled. So there's a lot of migrants who are very hopeful that the government's review of the program will, will end up you know, with some sort of process to allow them inside the United States while their applications are pending. And my last question, the Biden administration has already deported hundreds of immigrants in just a few days in office, despite his initial pledge to stop deportations. Among those deported is a woman who was a witness to the El Paso shooting in, in Texas. What's behind these deportations? So deportations take a long time to arrange, not only to go for the, through the proceedings that result in a deportation order, but also to arrange the paperwork and arrange the flight. So I think a lot of these were in process before Biden took office. I'm hopeful that the administration will initiate a review of these deportations that went forward despite their attempt to pause deportations, uh, but we'll have to see. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Pierce of the Migration Policy Institute for your time and your input. Thank you for having me, Lauren. And former President Trump's second impeachment trial on charges of inciting the January 6th insurrection, now just a week away as both sides prepare their arguments. That trial highlighting the widening rift, not just between Democrats and Republicans, but also between fractions of the GOP itself. Andrea Linares has the latest. 
Mr. President, Democratic House of Representatives impeachment managers are preparing their case. Today, they'll be submitting their legal briefs. Their plan is to accuse former President Trump of an intentional months-long effort to subvert the will of the voters, thereby inciting the January 6 Capitol riots. Impeachment managers will argue Trump repeatedly claimed the election would be stolen from him before November 3rd, then put out disinformation as part of his Stop the Steal campaign. What Trump did was the most despicable thing any president has ever done. They will also argue to establish that it is legal to convict Trump even though he's out of office. Supporters of the impeachment have said a key reason for convicting Trump is to prevent him from holding future office. Many Republicans have argued the process is unconstitutional. The president showed poor leadership. We know that. Um, and I will listen to those arguments. I, you're right. I do believe that this is unconstitutional at this point. We will listen to the arguments as they're presented. But as far as other courses of action, the president, former president, is now a private citizen. There are courses of action that be, could be taken against a private citizen. To my Democratic colleagues, if you vote to call one witness, none were called in the House, get ready for a long trial. Graham adding that the GOP would call in the FBI to show how supporters had pre-planned the attack on January 6. In an interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, David Schoen, one of Trump's new attorneys, said he did not plan to argue that Trump lost the election because of fraud. He instead plans to argue that the trial itself is unconstitutional. He also said he'll make the case that Trump's words were protected by the First Amendment and did not incite a riot. Senator Lindsey Graham has also rejected a request from incoming Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin to hold a confirmation hearing next week for Mayor Garland. President Biden's pick to lead the Justice Department. Graham argues that Durbin's request is highly unusual given the hearing's proximity to the impeachment trial. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And meanwhile, GOP Congresswoman Liz Cheney is getting support from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in a Republican Party battle over former President Trump's impeachment. Cheney was one of just a handful of Republicans who voted to impeach Trump last month. Cheney's uh, vote sparks a political assault by Trump's loyals list, including efforts to oust her from the third ranking spot in the House GOP leadership. McConnell said in a statement Monday that Cheney had, quote, the courage to act on her convictions. And in related news, newly elected Georgia Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is facing growing criticism. Monday night, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell made a scathing rebuke of the freshman House member. In a brief statement and without directly naming her, McConnell said in her, her views are a, quote, cancer for the Republican Party. McConnell also slammed her embrace of, quote, loony lies and conspiracy theories. Among other theories, Greene says school shootings in Newton Connecticut and Parkland, Florida, were hoaxes hoax made by the media to take away gun rights. Green responded on Twitter to McConnell's uh, comments, posting, quote, the real cancer for the Republican Party is weak Republicans who only know how to lose gracefully. So far, 100 House members have signed on to support a resolution to strip Green of committee assignments. 
And in the wake of the Capitol insurrection last month, police investigators are recommending the officer who shot and killed a rioter should not be charged. A U.S. Capitol Police officer shot Ashley Babbitt at a violent pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol uh, building on January 6. Members of Congress who were certifying the election at the time were forced to shelter in place. The shooting is still under investigation by Metro Police, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and civil rights prosecutors. Justice Department officials could make a final decision about possible charges in the coming days. Latest now on the coronavirus emergency, new variants increasingly becoming a more serious concern with experts worried about another surge on the way, urging states not to save any vaccine for second doses and instead inoculate as many people as possible right now. Here's the latest. The Biden administration expressing the urgency to stop the spread of variants now before it gets out of hand. Viruses cannot mutate if they don't replicate. And if you stop their replication by vaccinating widely and not giving the virus an open playing field to continue to respond to the pressures that you put on it, you will not get mutations. Urging states to not hold back vaccines to use as second doses later and instead inoculate as many people as possible right now. In this way, there are no doses that are hanging around. Health officials also increasing testing efforts, announcing the first COVID-19 at-home tests will soon be available at pharmacies nationwide. These are over-the-counter, self-performed test kits that can detect COVID with roughly 95% accuracy within 15 minutes. Variants are being reported in 35 states, the UK variants in 32 states, the South African variants in South Carolina and Maryland, and the Brazilian variants so far just in California. Meanwhile, the CDC reporting only less than 8% of the US population has been vaccinated. But new preliminary information might help ease the nationwide shortages. A study based on 109 people and not yet peer reviewed found that participants who had never been infected with COVID-19 developed antibodies more slowly than those who had recovered from it, suggesting people infected in the past might only need one dose of the vaccine to get full immunity. Dr. Fauci remaining hopeful that if we speed up vaccinations, we will reach herd immunity by this summer. As I had mentioned, if we can get past vaccine hesitancy and we efficiently and effectively get people vaccinated to the tune of maybe 70 to 85 percent of the population by the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall, then we will have gotten herd immunity, I believe, namely getting that blanket of protection over the community. Cases and hospitalizations continue dropping sharply across the country. 35 states now, 38 states now have at least 10% fewer people in hospital beds compared to last week. And when it comes to vaccines, some concerning news regarding that rollout. The CDC now saying that women and white people are the ones most likely to have received the vaccine so far. They looked at nearly 12.5 million people who got uh, their first at least one dose between December 14th and January 14th. They found 63% were female and about 55% were at least 50 years old. For about half of those vaccinated, the CDC found that about 60% were non 
Hispanic white, about 11% were Hispanic or Latino, 6% Asian, and about 5% were black. But the CDC says more complete reporting on race and ethnicity is needed. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In other coronavirus news, some Democratic lawmakers are pushing President Biden to provide better masks. Senators Bernie Sanders and Brian Schatz, along with Representatives Adam Schiff and Ro Khanna, published a letter that calls for invoking the Defense Production Act to increase the supply of higher quality masks. The leaders recommend using the U.S. Postal Service to deliver medical grade facial coverings to local communities. Today in the first day is the first day of National Gun Violence Survivors Week, and as Jonathan Mejia reports, a nonprofit advocacy organization has brought together athletes to highlight the gun violence crisis. More than 40,000 Americans are killed by gun violence every year, leading these group of athletes to share their stories on pain and purpose. Deborah Peters is a retired WNBA player who spent six years in the league and won two WNBA championships. But Peters always knew that athletes are more than what they can produce on the court or field. That's why she's using her voice to speak up. In a tweet, Peters said, Every town has impacted my life in so many ways. It has allowed me to do my part in educating others about gun violence prevention, but also helped me confront my own trauma head on. Nearly 40,000 Americans are killed by gun violence and approximately 85,000 more are shot and wounded. Along with Peters, three other athletes joined her. DeAndre Bembry, a guard for the NBA's Toronto Raptors, Deontay Spencer, a wide receiver for the NFL's Denver Broncos, and Stedman Bailey, a former NFL player whose career was cut short after he was shot twice in the head in 2015. In a statement to People, Bailey said, Gun violence is destroying families. It needs to change. If we're not using our platform and sharing our stories, we're doing a disservice to the millions of other people who are going through the same thing that don't have a platform. They don't have a voice. The athletes are committed to giving their time and effort to educate people and curb gun violence. Jonathan Mejia, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. <laughs>